0: What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly, and welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. This week, to celebrate the 100th episode of The Rewatchables Podcast, Quentin Tarantino returns for the third and final movie in his three-part series with us. In the final episode, Bill Simmons and Sean Fennessy discuss with Quentin one of his favorite movies, the 1990 crime thriller King of New York. Make sure to check out this special episode and follow at The Rewatchables on Twitter for highlights of all 100 episodes.
1: Welcome back, everybody. This is Larry Wilmore. Welcome to Black on the Air. Happy New Year. I haven't, man, I haven't talked to you guys in a while. Where have you been? I've been looking for you guys. <laughs> so happy to be back uh, with the pod. 2020, it's a whole new year. This is a very, uh, very exciting year, guys. This is the big election year. We got a lot going on. My pod, we will be covering the election. Looking forward to that. Um, we got a lot of stuff coming up, which I'll talk about in the next couple of weeks. We got a big, February coming up, we have some exciting things, and um looking forward to have a, a really interesting year here on the pod, back in there. Always looking to hear from you guys, you know, tweet me, uh, questions you may have, all that kind of stuff, especially if you're liking the pod, if you want to see different things, or whatever it is, whatever you want to do. This is mine as much as yours. Let me know what you're liking and all that kind of stuff. By the way, I have heard from a lot of people who, you know, Larry, when's the pod coming back? We're excited about it, and thank you so much for reaching out. Talking about the pod, being excited about it. And this will be three years, Brandy? 2017 we started, right? Yeah, so we've been doing it for, it'll be three years pretty soon. So, you know, there's, uh, it keeps evolving as we're doing it, you know. But I love talking to you guys. I love having these conversations, talking to the guests. And we'll keep mixing up the type of people that we have on the show. And hopefully we keep having uh, people that you're interested in, you know. I I I know there are things that are like that you guys are like uh okay like Larry's going to talk about his Lakers whatever can I just fast forward <laughs> And yes I will be talking about my Lakers I'm not I won't talk about them right now you know but as here here's here, here's what I will promise you okay The playoffs are at the end of April or start in April That's when I'll start talking about the Lakers a little more So just plan between April and June I'll be talking about that. So maybe, you know what we should do? We should let people know where they can fast forward to where my Laker talk stops and that type of thing. Just giving you guys some warnings, just so you know what's coming up. Okay. But we'll probably, look, we have um, the election coming up right now. And so we'll probably be talking mostly about that in the next few months. But having said that, there's always issues coming up. Always something. And you know I'm going to try to keep it 100 with you in terms of where I stand on these issues. The biggest thing, I guess, recently... Oh, you know what? <laughs> people are asking me about the Harry and Meghan thing. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex, I guess they are now. um, Giving up on most of their royal duties. I don't think they're giving up on all of them. People are trying to paint it like, you know, this black woman came in. <laughs> and it's taking our, our royal out of the country, you know. I just think uh people forget that Harry's mom was... You know, the way that Princess Di was just hunted all the time. And, you know, she basically died because those people were chasing her through that tunnel or whatever. He's not playing right now. He's like, no, fuck you, motherfuckers. I'm not having the same thing happen to my wife. I give him a lot of credit for that, you know. But I think also they're really interested in um, just doing it different. I just think they're different people now, the way that they want to exist in the world, you know. And I'm very interested in what they want to do, especially if it means we're going to get more episodes of The Crown. That's kind of how I feel about it. You know, this sounds like a fantastic season of The Crown, by the way. (laughs) Which I don't know if you guys are watching, but I'm so obsessed with The Crown and the Royals right now. I don't know what happened. It's just very interesting to me. But I have to say, I do like the Claire Foy years. They're really good, you know. Nothing against, uh, is it Olivia Coleman? Nothing against her. She's amazing. But um, the young queen, she was sassy. She had a lot going on there. Really interesting. Really good stuff if you guys like history. So um, I'll make this short. We have John Favreau on the show today of Crooked Media, Pod Save America, Love It or Leave It, all that stuff. And John's great. You know, he worked with Obama, was a speechwriter, and he's so interesting. So we're going to talk a lot about politics today and all that. And um, as you know, we have two very white events coming up the Iowa caucus and the Oscars two very wide events <laughs> in the near future. And I don't know how much. Here's the thing with the Oscars. People think that the Academy gets in a room <laughs> and says, who should we nominate this year? When was the last? Do we, you know, we're kind of tired of voting. <laughs> I don't even want to say it. But let me just say it doesn't work like that. People just vote individually for the films that they like and the actors and actresses that they like. But it is frustrating when you see so many performances for people of color, you know, that don't get nominated. And it is, you know, a lot of it is just personal bias that people have. They just view the world in a different way and they like shit that is close to them. I mean, it really comes comes to that. I think once the Academy just gets more diverse, you'll see it just work out a little better. But guys, it's just not that way now. That's just the way it is, you know. So, um, so, it's hard for me to complain too much about that because what are you going to do? Just go to people individually. Motherfucker, who are you voting for? Have you seen us? Have you seen it? Watch this movie before you watch Jojo Rabbit. Okay, put that in it, you know, or whatever it is. Not picking on Jojo Rabbit. By the way, in terms of movies, let me tell you a great movie that you have to go see 1917. You guys got to go see this movie and you got to see it on the big screen. Don't wait for it to come out wherever it is. Experience on the big screen. This is a cinematic masterpiece. By the way, I love film. If, we could, if I had a pod just talking about film, I would be a happy man. But um, let me tell you what I love about 1917, in all seriousness. Films, to me, are supposed to transport you to another place, just take you away from that theater and put you into this world. 1917 does that in a way that I haven't seen a movie do that in so long. It's so great. I won't tell you much about it, but once you sit down and the movie starts, you're transfixed. It, it really is that type of film. Something to look forward to. Okay. And before the Oscars, see it before the Oscars, because it may win a lot of Oscars. And all the other movies, it's a matter of personal taste, I think, you know, what you like or don't like. But see 1917. Even if you think, ah, it's a war movie, don't think of it like that. Think of it as you will be transported and have this experience that is amazing. I don't know the people in 1917, by the way. I have nothing at stake there. I'm just promoting it. I think it's great. Okay. So. Iowa caucus is coming up. It's getting serious, you guys. We just had another debate. I told you how I feel about this. It's going to be tough to beat Trump. I hate making those predictions. I still feel the same way that he's probably going to get reelected. If you've been listening to me, I have had hope here and there, certain for certain occasions that I thought, well, maybe it's the tide is turning, but I don't know. And right now, here's the problem: we're going to need. I say we're because I'm a Democrat. You know, I want I <laughs> want Trump to leave, but. It's not that Trump's going to get voted out. Somebody has to get voted in. You know, so who is that person? And right now, nobody's really sticking out to me as that person that everybody's going to get behind and vote as the leader. I think each candidate has factions where people like the candidate for whatever reason and they're excited about it. I think uh, Sanders and Warren probably have the most excited people about them. I think Biden seems to have the most loyal people behind him. And Buttigieg just, I can't tell who his supporters are right now, you know. But he's kind of the the outsider. I still think Klobuchar maybe has a chance to do something in Iowa, but past Iowa, it's hard to say. And people just don't know who she is, you know. And Buttigieg, I think his name, when you don't know who he is, his name is an issue. And I think you just really have to overcome that early. Like Obama, man. Obama had a horrible name for president. Barack Hussein Obama and your brother running in 2007. Are you kidding me? That's why black people didn't want to vote for Obama. Say, so, nigga, please, you think you can win again? <laughs> it's John McCain, a war hero? Six years, seven years after 9 11, we're going to vote for a brother named Hussein. Nigga, please, come on. Oh, you just beat Hillary? Okay. Well, maybe we can vote for you. When Obama did well in Iowa, I think a lot of people turned around and thought he could win, but it took a while. He had to prove himself, you know. But I think what the Democrats need to stop doing is they need to stop fighting each other in ways that aren't productive. Fight each other on the issues. Fight each other to clarify your positions and things. But this whole thing of what's going on with Sanders and Warren about their private conversation and did Bernie Sanders say that a woman can't win? Guys, let me just cut to the quick. Bernie Sanders is not sexist, okay? And I'm not a Sanders supporter. I'm a Sanders supporter as a human being. I've met Bernie Sanders. He's an amazing human being. I think he's a great politician. But I don't support... People as part of what I do. I just don't, you know? So I'm not a supporter of anybody. It's not just Sanders of anybody, but I do support the man as a quality human being, guys. I don't care if they had a private conversation and he may have said that. That's their private conversation. But if you're putting that out there that Bernie Sanders is a sexist, it's just not true. Did he say that he didn't think a woman could beat Trump? Probably, but I don't think that makes him a sexist. If you want to say that, fine. But if that's going to be your reason for having this party be divided, the sexist is in the White House. That's where the sexist is. He is not on stage debating with other Democrats. The sexist is in the White House. Keep your eyes on the prize. That's the motherfucker that needs to go and get out of there. Okay. Ah, That kind of stuff just gets me. All right. So anyhow, um, those are the things I'm interested in right now. We'll try to cover some of the stuff that's going on, maybe my next way in. But um, really good conversation coming up, guys. Welcome back to the pod. Happy New Year for 2020. And uh, we got John Papo coming up. All right. Welcome back. I'm here. uh, Man, this is this guy. He's doing so much right now. He's uh, one of the smartest political brains out there, but he goes even deeper than that. And I hope you guys are listening to Crooked Media, all their good stuff. He's co founder of Crooked Media, Pod Save America. I was in Love It or Leave It a Lot, and both of those things. Uh, so much fun to listen to. But he's a former speechwriter for Obama. I'd like to say Obama rather than the administration. I think that's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it just sounds good. But I'm very excited about his second season of The Wilderness. John Favreau, welcome to. Back on the
0: air. Uh, it's good to be back on. Thanks for having me.
1: It's such a cool pod that you're doing. It's so... It's both informative and, you know...
0: <laughs> what's the right word? I try like, to make it inspiring. Inspiring, Or yeah. at least, if not ins- completely good. inspiring, because it's hard to inspire people these days, energizing. Yeah. So people finish listening to it and then like, okay, I'm going to go sign up and knock on some doors. Yeah. Maybe. It's
1: kind of activist, but in a thoughtful way.
0: Right. Yeah, it's yeah. not... um I mean it's partisan, but it's not sure. the same kind of stuff we do on uh, right. on Positive America every day. Yeah. It's not it's not me <laughs> yes. yelling about the news.
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> which which is, you can
0: get out you can get a lot of. Which is kinda nice. And week. I
1: appreciate when you guys do that, but yeah, the way. no, there's, there's a lot to yell about. You guys so. are are very uh very funny. Uh yeah, and uh and very energizing with that kind of uh, approach and everything. So let's talk about the uh
0: the uh, wilderness. How did that sure.
1: how did that come about anyway?
0: You know, the first season came about because I wanted wanted a space to really dig into why the Democratic Mm -hmm. Party hadn't just lost narrowly in the Mm -hmm. Electoral College, at least to Donald Trump in 2016. But, you know, when Obama was in office, we lost 1,000 seats, uh, a down ballot, and the party had sort of been hollowed out. And so I wanted to sort of look back through history at at why this happened and and figure out sort of a way out of the wilderness. Um, So that, Mm -hmm. that was the first season. And then... You know, I had so much fun doing it yeah. that I thought it would be great to do a second season for in advance of 2020. Right. Now that we have an election, 2018, to look at yeah. and learn lessons from. And also to figure out, you know, how Democrats can put together a winning coalition in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting
1: because I like that you go into, you know, a lot of parties go into a forensic kind of analysis of their death, (laughs) you know, when they lose. The Republicans did it with Obama. I mean, they actually did a huge overhaul, brought in a lot of, I thought, young people to— that uh, CPAC or whatever it is, I remember following it back in those days and what they were, you know, attempting to do because they were like, what the fuck just happened? You know? Yeah.
0: Well, they, they did yeah. an autopsy after 2012. In 2012 as well. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. they did the opposite of what that autopsy uh, told them to do. They forgot. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> and they won. So, the so, so much The autopsy they for did in
1: 2012, Trump was nothing no, about it was like that autopsy. Yeah, it was like try he did to not bring represent
0: their autopsy. try to you know yes. reach Latinos. That's exactly right. Try to yeah. be younger. Right. Try not to be so extreme conservative. Don't be so violence. hard on Don't be so hard on immigrants. Yes, right, and they were right, just right. like, yeah, fuck that. We're gonna go. Know, we're gonna go in another direction. It's
1: so true. It's so true. Yeah. But I appreciate the fact that you go. Uh, you know, when we talk about the first season of the wilderness that you really go back and explain things. You know, and give things context because context gets lost so quickly. And I think one of the biggest things, like for me, that I try to remind people is that. Both parties had both conservatives and liberals existed in both parties.
0: Right. Well, you know? that's that's why polarization is so bad today. Yeah. Is because you had and and look in the Democratic Party having conservatives in the party was a legacy of segregation, racism, and, and racism. Right. Because you yeah. had Southern Democrats, Dixiecrats. Right. So that that exactly. was that's why we had some more conservative members there. Right. But also, you know, we had. More conservative Democrats in the Mountain West and the Plain States, right? You know, and like you know, Tom Daschle, the leader of the Senate, was from South Dakota. Absolutely, um, but, but we don't ty- have that anymore.
1: Well, there's different types of conservatism as there are different types of liberalism. That's I think also true. What happens is a lot of people lump it into one thing. Like I've always felt, if you're gonna separate it out, like there's your fiscal conservative, which. There are many Democrats that consider themselves fiscal conservatives. But then yeah. you have your religious conservatives, where they think the law should be based on morality, which is connected to the Bible. You know? And then you have your nativist conservative who, that was your America first, you know, yeah. build the wall, <laughs> you know, that and, type and of thing. They're,
0: and they're in control of the party now.
1: Exactly. Like, Trump really represented that because fiscal conservatives, like, thrown out the window.
0: No. I mean— There's no more fiscal conservatives. No, Tea
1: Party was the last, like, breath of air that spoke those things. Paul yeah.
0: Ryan left town. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And they kicked him out. The Republicans kicked out uh, right. Paul Ryan.
1: They were happy to get rid of him.
0: No, the idea yeah. that the—well, the interesting thing is I think that Trump— could have even been more politically successful yeah. if he didn't have a bunch of Republicans in Congress telling him, repeal the Affordable Care Act, sure. pass this tax cut for rich people. Those were all the so-called fiscal conservatives, even though they spend a lot of money. Right. Um, the, that was the influence of, of those Republicans. Sure. If Trump had gone in there and said, I want to work on an infrastructure bill. I don't want to touch healthcare. Right. I just want to do all my native stuff. I actually worry that he could have even been more successful.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. You know, yeah, what's, It's scary.
0: Someone's going to figure it, is, it out. Is,
1: what's interesting about Trump, and I've said this, he's not an ideologue. No. You know, he's a Trumpist is really what he is. Yeah. He's really interested in glorifying his own name. It's and, just about him. Yeah, and a lot of his ideas weren't bad ideas before he be started to run for president outside of his trying to... Obama as, you know, the birtherism and all that stuff. But that's when he started getting into politics, you know. But He's you a know. he's a
0: he's a cable news viewer who became president.
1: Yes, exactly. That's right. all his yeah. views
0: are shaped by what you'd right. what your grandfather would watch on Fox. Yeah, or even CNN to an extent. Well,
1: but to be fair, some of the views he had before that too, like his views on trade, he's had for
0: years. That's right. You know, he's like you could but look the, at, but, but but that's because you know he how how many businessman think about Lou Dobbs, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like yeah, right. Lou Dobbs was not just on Fox Business, but on CNN all yes, those years ago. That's right. Talking about the fleecing of America, right? right? And so yeah. you watch that, you yeah. start having those views on trade, whether you're a Democrat That's or Republican right. or Trump. Right. There's
1: His protectionism turned into nativism. Yeah. Or it was in there waiting for— As it sometimes does. <laughs> as, as that sometimes happens
0: with protectionism. Waiting
1: for an escape route you right. know, or that type of thing. Um, so here's what I want to—so what, what happened? Where are the Democrats divided right now? Let me ask you that. And what's at the center of that division if the answer is yes? I believe that they are divided. I mean, and I think it expresses itself in all these so petty ways. I think know.
0: there's two different areas that sometimes get conflated, right? There's ideology. Mm-hmm. And so you have some Democrats who you know believe we should have Medicare for all instead of a public option, mm-hmm. or we should have a Green New Deal as opposed to, you know, maybe smaller measures to mm-hmm. to take on climate. Um, I, I call those progressive liberals. Progr- yeah. So, the, right. so so and you know, divided, there's a there's a group of them demo- up into three too brother. well there's also like a there's like a demo- group of democratic socialists as well um right. which are you know on the progressive side of the party right so there's ideological debates about basically how much how much government involvement there should be in the private exactly. sector how much money we should spend which right. we've had for a long time then there's sort of another debate about uh how hard we should fight republicans mm-hmm. and you know Should we get rid of the filibuster? Should Mm -hmm. we get rid of the Electoral College? Should we uh, reform the Supreme Court? Mm -hmm. Um, Is the best path to power trying to work with Republicans and compromise with them Mm -hmm. or to just completely run them over and beat them? Um, And so – and that is a divide that – it's not necessarily ideological. It's more – honestly, it's more generational.
1: Yeah, right, And so uh, you
0: see some of the older Democrats in Congress, even who are pretty liberal and pretty uh-huh. progressive, say like, I don't think we should fuck with institutions. And then you have some younger people, you know, like a Pete Buttigieg, right, uh-huh. who ideologically is maybe a little more moderate, uh-huh. but is out there saying like, yeah, let's get rid of the Electoral College or the filibuster, all that kind of stuff. But is, aren't those
1: arguments? I find those loser arguments. In what way? Because they're arguments said by losers. People, <laughs> no, it's true. It's like we lost the Electoral College, we should change it. Right. We we don't have enough votes to get something passed. We should change that. Right. You know? Well, and then and then what happens is you change it and then guess what? Balance of power, power shifts and now you're fucked by that change. Well but the, the
0: problem the mm-hmm. Democrats face is I, I agree. Well, and that's when what I, hear I mean people by loser now, arguments. Not yeah, that no. the
1: argument itself is a loser, but, but the argument is stated by losers, people that have lost, and so they feel that the way to win is to change the rules of the game rather than just win the fucking game.
0: Right. Well, so you that's know? how I feel about um, the immediate term for sure, mm-hmm. right? Like, so when people complain a lot about the Electoral College right now, right. I'm like, yeah, we're not changing the Electoral College between now and November, so right. let's fuck, t- stop fucking talking about it and just go win the play election. Play better. Right, let's just
1: win the election. I say play better. But right. we've won the Electoral, it's not like we haven't won the Electoral College before in, in you
0: know. the in the long run, the uh, geographic distribution uh, and the polarization of both parties mm-hmm. is going to and the setup of many of our institutions is going to disadvantage the Democratic Party in a serious way mm-hmm. in the long term. How so, many people
1: were asking for this when Obama won?
0: We well, you could start.
1: Looking you can start. My
0: head. <laughs> no one was because, but the, but, the, but the problem nope. is, no, nope. you can start. Nope. See, it, it was starting then. Nope. Like we, like no, the Senate, we the Senate it, is it started Bush v. The Senate Gore when, is really when Gore fumbled
1: the ball at the right, right, <laughs> at right. the goal line because he didn't want to use Clinton in his uh, campaigning because of the Monica Lewinsky scandal right. and all that stuff. But I'm just saying, yeah.
0: like the Democrats will never the Democratic Party will never have uh, a 60 vote majority in the Senate in our lifetimes ever, yeah. and that's just because that's no matter how well we play unless right. unless we actually start changing the coalitions for each party, uh-huh. right? Because But that has to do more with gerrymandering this, this, and, so the Senate and districting, has, right? The Senate does not. The House does. right? So if we get rid of all the gerrymandering in the House, right, right, it'll be fine. The House will be fine. The, the, right. the geographic distribution of population sure. will be roughly even, and we'll, we're fine in the House. Uh-huh. Um, even the Electoral College, as Texas becomes more blue, as Arizona uh-huh. becomes more blue, as Georgia does— um, and they are becoming bluer, they're becoming mm-hmm. more demographically favorable for the Democrats over the long term, Right. Um, we can then start affording to lose the Michigans, the Wisconsins, the Pennsylvania, which Ooh, we are.
1: electoral college turns in our favor.
0: It will, so we'll be roughly even. And It'll, then we get rid of it. like, Durr! right, right. <laughs> So I don't even like the—
1: Then you have this populist candidate who right. gets all these votes, right? That's but what it loses is. the electoral college, the, so, and then we're fucked.
0: So long term, the electoral mm-hmm. college doesn't worry me as much. Mm-hmm. The, the Senate worries me the most because— as Texas, so we pick up two senators from Texas. Maybe we pick up two senators from Arizona. Maybe from mm-hmm. Georgia. That's it, because we start losing Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, mm-hmm. Iowa, Wyoming. All these, all these, okay. s- roughly rural states. Basically, we are not right. a rural party so, anymore, which is what this. What, okay, what this that's what I want to talk to you is. about.
1: So, because I know you're out there talking to some of those yeah. areas, I find that real interesting too. You're going to different regions. What is the biggest reason why that's happening? You, you say rural. But break that down for me. What, non non college educated because Amy Klobuchar talks a little yeah. bit about this.
0: Yeah. Non college educated white people, okay, are moving away from the Democratic Party and have been since before Obama was. Uh-huh. Elected. Are these the
1: the Clinton Bubba Democrats? Yeah. Is basically, that, I think they call him something like that. Yes. I don't know if it was Bubba demo. It was Bubba, but I don't know. I can't what remember doing. what it was, yeah, but, but it was something.
0: something. Like Mark Penn right. probably had some name for him. Yes, exactly. Um, so we're losing non-college educated white mm-hmm. people, and we have been since the Clinton days. Basically, mm-hmm. Um are we losing them? Meaning they're leaving. They're going. to They're voting for. I mean, leaving the country. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> <laughs> no they're. Voting. Are we leaking? No. Here? Is the country? But look, I mean, you know, Barack
1: Obama. They're going to the Republican Party. They're or going they're to the just, Republican are they Party. Just Loss. No,
0: they're going to the Republican Party. Okay, and they these these people tend to be, um, they tend to have economic views that are we would think of as more progressive. Are these ex-union people? Some of them are a lot of ex-union. We lost like a lot Rustveld? of ex-union people, Rust Belt type and, of people. Yeah, right. yeah, industrial Midwest. And
1: they're going to the party that fought these unions. Ironically,
0: they are. Yeah, they are. Which is interesting. Yeah. And, and and I'll tell you why, because everyone's like, why do they vote against their economic interest, right? Uh-huh. And and. When you talk to them, they'll say things like, Um, I want more I want government to get involved in my healthcare. I they want do, higher they wages. Do they do. They uh-huh. want. But because neither party, at least how they feel, this is mm-hmm. how they feel. They feel that neither party has actually delivered for them. Yeah. And made their lives tangibly better uh-huh. over years. So they, they didn't
1: feel they were disaffected. You talked about this a little bit and you're about how they were disaffected after Obama and Like, there's this phenomenon, I guess, called Obama Trump. Is that what you call it? Yeah. People who voted for Obama and then voted for Trump, which I found interesting. Yeah. But the reason why, because they were disaffected with Obama, and I believe they just didn't understand what happened during that term personally.
0: But then they they were radicalized by Fox News. Completely. For sure.
1: Absolutely. 1,000%. You know, and then uh, have been disaffected by Trump. So, where are those people? Like, where are they? Are they still going to vote for Trump, do you
0: think? So, I I sat down with Uh 10. Obama Trump voters who then voted for a Democratic candidate in eighteen. Okay, in Milwaukee In the off election in the off election. Okay, so in Wisconsin they voted for a Democratic governor. Mm-hmm. They reelected a Democratic senator in eighteen, right. and so I found ten people who had done Obama Trump and then Democrat. And wow. it's one well, like these pl- pl- these were people we fired to find. Yeah. We won the twenty eighteen midterms mm-hmm. in large part. A good part because of these voters coming back to Democrats who had voted oh, for Trump in 16. Wow, we want a lot of them back, in the mid- in the especially in the upper Midwest.
1: With what seemed like the economy on an uptick.
0: Yes. Right. Okay. And so I talked to them. I said, first of all, why did you vote for Obama? Uh-huh. Uh, and then why did you vote for Trump? And then why did you vote for Democrat uh-huh. in 18? In and they all said, change. Let me ask you this.
1: Before they voted for Obama, were they Democrats? Yes.
0: Okay. So a lot they of were, them were Democrats. Democrats. Okay. Uh, and they said, change. Uh-huh. Obama seemed like a change. One one guy, one older white guy said, uh, I voted for Obama because he wasn't an old white guy. He was something different. Wow. And then he voted for Trump. Uh-huh. <laughs> that same guy. And they just said, no one, people keep promises, promising us things over and over again. And nothing ever changes. Uh-huh. Our lives don't get better. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't notice any difference uh-huh. in my life. And so when someone else comes along, you know, and they just, I'm like, so why in 2018 did you vote for a Democrat? And they're like— Scott Walker, our Republican governor, governor, he just wasn't doing it for us. Uh-huh. He just didn't do anything. He attacked the teachers' unions. We don't like that. Uh-huh. Uh, he didn't raise our wages. We didn't like that. Uh-huh. And so we wanted to take another chance. And these people are just going to keep taking chances right. on—
1: Let me ask you this, Jen. Do you think there there is a party for those people anymore? Or,
0: I mean, I think—I believe that the Democratic Party could be for those people. Uh-huh. But I think what's most important for Democrats— should we get into power again mm-hmm. and have power and power is to deliver tangibly to people to improve their lives, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think one of the challenges of the Affordable Care Act is we passed the Affordable Care Act in 2010. When do the benefits of the Affordable Care Act actually start being delivered to people? Not for a couple of years.
1: Also, it was, it was being dismantled while that the was whole, going on, which was unfortunate. Yeah. So... It could never live up to... Its I, by the way... You know me, I'm a huge Obama fan, but for completely different reasons. They're not ide- ideological. Mm-hmm. I always said I voted for Obama because he was black. People were yelling about public option. I said, I- Is he still black? Right. Fine. <laughs> He's my guy. You know. Yeah. I but I will support this man and I supported him throughout the years. You know, I'm making a joke about it, but but I was also sober as to how Hard it is to get things done, and you know you hired the brother to be the janitor to clean all that shit up and get well, mad because he's not cleaning it up fast enough. You know, which is a big problem. Was was a huge problem in my eye. But I was a little salty about that whole Affordable Care Act because I just thought there were so many things. You know, and I I I get how the the uphill Sisyphus problem of it was, and I get all that. You know, yeah. But I do think, and you talk about this in one of your pods. You know, the public option part of it. Um, was I think a big miss, and I understand why. Yeah, we could,
0: we had a we had a Senate that was not cooperative.
1: If, was that the only reason? Do you think? Yeah. Or but when you say Senate, I see I'm salty about the Democrats. Yeah, that's and what I'm talking we, about.
0: Okay. Oh no, we had Democratic senators who were just like, "No, we're not going to do this." Yeah. And we pushed and pushed, uh-huh. but they said, "You can yell about it all you want," right. but in my state, I don't, like. I don't care about if Obama's out there yelling at me uh-huh. in public. I just care about getting reelected in my state. And in my state Uh I don't have to support a public option. In fact, if I do support a public option, I think Uh it'll be a political loser. I think those Uh people were wrong. Right. But we only Well they may
1: have been right at the time. Like in other words it probably was a political loser at the time. At the time, yeah. Yes. Eventually, and, it, it turned out to be a political winner. Right. I think. Right, you know? well, for sure, now. Yeah. So they weren't wrong They about weren't wrong at the time, yes. but
0: also it's— They were going to be a casualty. Part of what Obama <laughs> tried to tell a lot mm-hmm. of these people in Congress, which they always chafed at, is, like, we didn't come here to put our approval ratings up on a shelf and admire them. We came right. here to get something done. And when it looked like the Affordable Care Act wasn't going to happen at all, mm-hmm. when uh, Scott Brown won that seat after Ted Kennedy died— and we lost all and we didn't have enough votes. Um, Obama's advisors told him pull the bill or at least do something even more slim down mm-hmm. that was just, you know, a mm-hmm. little Medicaid expansion here, maybe a patient's sure. bill of rights here. And Obama said, No. Mm-hmm. If I if I push this and it costs me my presidency, if I'm a one-term president, mm-hmm. I'll still feel okay that I got this done. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't come here to put my approval ratings up on a shelf and admire them. I came here to get stuff done. Yeah. And if that cost me the presidency, that's what that cost me. Um and that was for the half a loaf what a lot of people think is half a loaf, mm-hmm. um, that you know, that that you're a little salty about. And it's just that's how difficult it is to deal with the machinations of Congress and the politics and Congress. Do you
1: think it was the just to talk about this a little bit more, do you think it was the timing of it? Because at the time, you know, oh, yeah, it, it felt like the economy was imploding that's definitely was what cratering it was. and all that. And people saw this, why are you doing this as the first thing was how it was perceived. Right which I think is why it was hard for... I always talk about the average person, not in political terms, but the person who isn't watching CNN and watching all this stuff, and they just hear headlines now and then at the time to vote. You know, yeah. I think to a lot of those people, it felt like it was a lot that was not the proper focus well let's think about that's what it's that's yeah what it I mean let's like. think
0: about where we were we had just mm. spent a trillion dollars correct <laughs> to try to get the economy going
1: that's correct and, yeah. which, and that was after we had the pushed the They pushed it. so
0: we already spent that much money and that takes a while people to work through the system it. so people obviously right. weren't feeling it right. but from a governing perspective Obama thought if I don't if I don't attack healthcare right now mm-hmm. I never will because if we didn't do healthcare probably still would have lost the midterms in 2010 because, again, you have an economy where most people are out of work mm-hmm. and they don't want to hear a bunch of excuses about how it was Bush's fault. Right. They just know that Obama's president and they're still out of work. Sure. So we probably would have lost the 2010 midterms anyway. Do you think anyway. would have had
1: the historic type of losses? I think so.
0: Really? I think even with that, I think if Republicans ran that race, if there was no Affordable Care Act, they would have just said, look at that stimulus. Are you better off? The government mm-hmm. just spent a trillion dollars. Right. How are you doing? Right. I think it's the same kind of message. Mm-hmm. So I think what Obama's you know, thought was, I got to do this now because after 2010, I'm not going to have a Congress to do it. I'm not going to have Democrats in Congress to do it. And then Mm -hmm. I'm just going to have to run for election as the guy that spent a trillion dollars to not make sure that the economy wasn't worse. Right. (laughs) And didn't have a lot else to show for it in Congress. Now, some other people will say, maybe you should have done immigration reform instead of uh, healthcare. And that would have been easier. I don't know. We <laughs> we've seen how immigration is gone. There were gone over plenty the last... of Democrats
1: against that as well. That's
0: also true. We yeah. tried to do a cap and trade bill. We tried to do a climate bill, and yeah. a whole bunch but of people... House Democrats walked the plank on that, and then got and also, then lost
1: on it. It is the least sexy of all of them. That's the least sexy. <laughs> like, cap and trade? Yeah.
0: What? What are you talking about? But what's cap and trade? You know, we started this whole conversation mm-hmm. about like the party delivering, and yes. like if I had to do it all over again next time, even in the Recovery Act when we spent all that money, mm-hmm. like. I would have made sure that instead of you know, you're withholding tables on your paycheck, your tax uh-huh. cut showing up there, like you get a check from the government that's called sure. like Obama Bucks, <laughs> right? Or, yeah. or like you're driving along and you see an infrastructure project and it says like brought to you by the Recovery Act, by Obama's like absolutely. Like, I think that, I think. The next Democratic president needs to not only make sure there are quick wins that people can feel in their lives, Mm -hmm. but that they are advertising to people that this was a result of the federal government. We did this for you, and then you get – the and which is why, by the way, Republicans fight so hard against Democrats passing benefits for middle-class people and poor people so much because they know that if people are like, oh – the Democrats did this for me and made yeah. my life better, then they're fucked for a generation.
1: Well, like, they opposed the whole um, pre-existing conditions right. uh, part of that. They, I do not remember any Republicans for that statute. And then afterwards, when they saw how popular it was, oh yeah, no, like it was their ideal Trump along. just
0: tweeted the other day that he uh, he's, he's saved it. Yeah,
1: that's what he said. It's so crazy. You know, they were against every part of that, you know. But what is interesting is that that— you know, those people who were talking about in that place, you know, and the people who are the, the racist people, you know, to me, aren't as important as this other group of people who who did vote for Obama and for some reason did not vote for Hillary Clinton. Right. You know, I'm like, ah, you know, like what what else in there? OK, after the Obama years, we're at the end of it. The economy absolutely did recover. Mm-hmm. Obama's, uh, I think, place in that felt a little different. I felt they didn't promote enough the actual recovery that happened personally. Yeah. Yeah. I felt Obama, as great as a politician he was, was not a good politician for his governorship.
0: You so know, we, we face that makes sense. No, I, know. I you know. We face this challenge every day, which was do you promote the benefits of the recovery? Yes. Or <laughs> yes, right. But when you do that, so the recovery was not uh even, it was not widespread. That's right. And particularly in Uh, There was, in fact, now we look back, and at the end of 2016, there was almost a mini-recession in the states of Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, parts of the Midwest. And so every time— It
1: it happened in 2000, by the way. That's right. It was bigger than a mini-recession, but then it recovered again, and you know, people just ignored it almost. And
0: there was a concern that if Barack Obama went out there and said, look at how great the economy is, uh, everything's wonderful, that a lot of people who weren't feeling the recovery would Mm say— what is this guy talking about? I'm not feeling this in my life. Now, that said, the most popular piece of uh, content that we shared in the 2012 race when we beat Mitt Romney was that jobs chart, that famous jobs chart that showed Mm -hmm. all the job loss under George Bush and then Barack Obama becomes president and the chart starts going up. And that was very popular and helped us. So we were promoting it to an extent, but we were not We were always one foot in, one foot out because we felt this concern that, like, yes, we should promote the recovery. But at the same time, we don't want to tell people everything's great when it's not, which fast forward to today. Which is what Trump does all the time. Yeah, I think it's a danger for Trump (laughs) that um, we have not exploited as much yet. Like Trump going out there saying this is the greatest economy ever. More people probably feel that now than they did when Obama was president. Uh But I still think there's a bunch of people who don't feel that, Uh that he's at risk of pissing off.
1: Yeah, I, I completely disagree with that. I think people like to hear good news, even if it's not necessarily true. They just like They like sunny skies better than gray skies.
0: Yeah. <laughs> if,
1: if people are going to vote, they're going to vote for sunny skies over gray skies all the time. It doesn't, yeah. Because people know politicians lie and they exaggerate and all that stuff. And people that is true. That. They do. They really do. No one's going to penalize a politician for giving you sunny skies if it's not all true. That's interesting. I, I mean, it's— I, I really do believe that. It's you know, possible. Which is, that, which is why I was upset over—I like the fact—look— Obama always came across as the school administrator to me. And the president was, well, no, we're not there yet. You know, we've got a lot of hard work to do. Stop it. Be a fucking politician. Promote yourself. Yeah. You know? there's times when it frustrated
0: yeah. me where I was like, oh, I wish was so we frustrated. Just, it's like, yeah.
1: yes, you're right, but that's not the point. The point is not to
0: be right. The point is to lead. You and know what is, people, it just, we're, It's just, we're having this discussion, mm. right? And and we would have this discussion later. It's like, we're all pretty well off people, yeah. right? So if, if, if Barack Obama goes out and says, yeah, everything's wonderful, like, yeah, we think it's wonderful too because it's well, good in our it, lives. No. (laughs) It's not about.
1: It's not that everything's wonderful. It's what is the value that you're getting, you know, from this administration, and assign, you know, assign a real point to that value. Let people feel what that value is, but don't let it seem like there hasn't been a value. Like, and I try to like. I think think a lot of the Obama administration, like, would you you spend some time on one of your pods talking about what Obama accomplished you know what? You're the only Democrat I hear say that shit. Yeah. I never hear anybody talking about the Obama administration. Yeah. None of these Democrats. They act like he didn't exist. Yeah. You know, if any, and remember they got in trouble in that first debate because they were like, yeah. they were the like. The guy does have
0: like a, a 95% approval rating yes, among Democrats. Yes, but they were like slamming him. <laughs> he's it's like, like what's he's like the most important. Yeah. Well, you hear this from the left a lot too and they're like, oh, the Obama didn't do enough and blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, like, it's such a uh, insular, you know, bubble for people. to. It's they, a, they, a they, horrible bubble. Because like look at every poll. From but the also, end of the Obama administration, I'm like John, Democrats I, love him.
1: Have they forgotten about what politics is? That's right. my point. <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about just the condition of things. We're talking about politics. It's a dual-edged sword. You, yes, there's. Thank you, Obama. That's the actual condition. Now be a fucking politician yeah. and win something, you know? Well, my, you, like, you have to do both. My view know? on this is that I— no, I'm not I, blaming Obama right no. now. Now I'm talking about the Democrats, because that's what you're
0: focusing on now, too. I is, think, guys, you have to politic this as well. I think people don't—it's mm-hmm. not as important to people that you are a barometer on how things are going, either good or bad. Right. But that you are— a fighter, right? That you're yes. willing to say like, right. it, like, if you can turn on the news to find out how things are going. Like the right. job of the politician Absolutely. is to say, I'm going to go make things better. Sunny skies. And here's how. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or, well, I mean, sunny right. skies in the sense that I have a hopeful, optimistic yes. vision for the future. Correct. And I'm going to lead us there. Absolutely. And you don't hear that as much. <laughs> right. You know, you know like, I just, I think, I mean, look. Or you, that even that it's on their face. It's, it's, yeah. It's a, yes, happy warrior. This is what I said about the debate the other night. I was like, I want to see all of these candidates, at least one or all of them, um, be happy warriors here. Fight Trump, but like,
1: smile. Yes, (laughs) lead. Like, I always feel, like, when I break it down in, in silly comic terms, like, I'll say, in my estimation, like, the like in, in the most superficial way the best looking candidate usually wins the presidency yeah in some ways the funniest candidate Minus usually wins the presidency <laughs> yes yes uh but the charismatic the more charismatic candidate usually use the president yeah. wins the presidency if you look back that usually works out like the, the good looking one I won't say but I really mean the the most charismatic one the one that connects with people uh through like personal charisma tends to win out right time and time again, which is very interesting to me. Like when you look at like Obama in two thousand eight, if you had asked someone, and this goes to this question, this whole Warren uh Sanders thing, which I talk about at the top of the show, which yeah. burns me, the whole private conversation versus public conversation. It's, it's so ridiculous. It is. But like, but John Favreau, if if we were having a private conversation in two thousand seven and I asked Jesse John, "Do you think a brother with the middle name Hussein could be the war hero John McCain for the presidency? What would you say?" Yeah, we were pretty worried. You would have said, "What, Larry? Are you asking me can a black man beat this war hero and his middle name Hussein?" No. <laughs> Guess what John Favreau said two years ago <laughs> that a black man can't win. Of course, he said that. You right, know? Yeah, not right. that under those conditions. You know. Yeah.
0: No. I mean, you could. That's a whole silly story because you can totally see how one conversation was interpreted two different ways by both of them.
1: Oh, yeah, completely.
0: (laughs) I I just feel like
1: that's y'all's private conversation. Why is that being used for politics when, you know, there's a sexist in the White House right
0: now? Well, that's why I think, I mean, people are like, oh, Elizabeth Warren's campaign leaked that. Like, there is they are smart people over there in Elizabeth Warren's campaign. There is no way that anyone on that campaign Mm At least in the tight circle of that campaign, including the candidate, thought it would be a wise idea yeah. to insert a conversation about sexism and whether she could a woman could win the presidency mm-hmm. uh, twenty days out from the Iowa caucus. Yeah. Now, was someone who was close to that campaign or thought that they were close to that campaign? You have yeah. you know in a campaign, you have a sure. fucking circle of people who all think that they're friends of the candidate and friends of the campaign. Sure. Were they out there telling that story and repeating it? Yeah, probably that's what happened. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what What do dem? How do Democrats find? the way to lead right now, you know, yeah. like, because I look at the candidates, like, I even look at that debate and nobody stands out to me as who I feel I should get behind as a leader. Yeah. You know, I could say, what are my ideas? Who espoused those ideas? Yeah, that's one way to look at it. But to me, that's not good enough, you know, if because I've always said I hate making these type of predictions, but it just feels like Trump's
0: going to win, you know. It's, uh, I, I think the way— I will start by saying uh, debate formats are not great for this. Sure, sure, I understand that. <laughs> and um, yeah, but it's when you get to see people. And, and Obama hated on them. And Obama the, on wasn't, the same stage. wasn't great at them. Sure, never was great at them. Always Absolutely. hated them. He always was like these things aren't on the level. And I'm like, yeah, that's the whole point. Right. They're not on the level. But, but you is, have to play the game.
1: And it is the reason why Kennedy beat Nixon.
0: That's right. You know. And I, I think that you have to com- you have to be able to command the stage and sort of rise above both the tit-for-tat with other candidates Uh and the policy details um that are being asked about, uh-huh. right? Because the, the debate moderators are going to try to drag you down.
1: Right, exactly. Right, that's their
0: yeah. their their goal is to make news, and you make news by getting candidates in fights with each other uh-huh. and, uh, you know, trying and have them say something that makes them too far to the left or controversial. Sure. So that's their job.
1: Paint them in a corner or, or create these artificial fights.
0: Right, and right. so they want you to talk about all these details. Uh-huh. And your job on stage is to reframe the question Mm -hmm. (laughs) and answer what you want to answer and speak in value statements. Sure. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, and I think you don't, you didn't see that as much last debate, right? Like you saw it a little bit in some of the closing statements, which they had prepared ahead of time. Sure. Right? Like I think Joe Biden sort of got there at the end, Elizabeth Warren did, Mm -hmm. Bernie did. I mean, they all sort of got there at the end, but in the middle of the debate, you you have to be able to stand out by not just speaking about specific issues, but Look, there's. Uh, you speak about the elephant in the room, right? There's something deeply wrong in the country right now because Donald Trump is our president. Uh-huh. <laughs> and if you're not speaking to that, to like what is at stake in this election and what is um, wrong with our democracy right now, uh-huh. then I think you're sort of missing the big picture.
1: Right. Now, saying that there's something wrong— is i think focusing on Trump
0: probably right well you got to you got to make the turn to yes because he connected sure. to
1: something that people wanted you know that were seeking and that's also like why did we why did they not look to us for that thing that they want yeah. you know which comes back to the wilderness, you know. This is the—what yeah. are the things that you felt you've learned in terms of what people kind of want in this election right now? Have Have you heard some of those things? Yeah. People who
0: are kind of still disenchanted? Well, so, I mean, the, the biggest—I don't know if it was a surprise, but what came through most of talking to— and look, I, I talked to four different groups of voters, mm-hmm. right? So you hear people talking to swing voters, and you're like, they're all the Obama-Trump voters, right? Mm-hmm. Or they're all these, like, uh, white guys in the Midwest. I wanted to make sure that I found different groups of voters to talk to. So I, I told you about the Milwaukee voters— in Arizona, I talked to a group of voters who had voted for Mitt Romney, uh-huh. and then in sixteen, decided Trump's crazy. I'm voting for Hillary Clinton. So these are former Republicans. So.
1: The complete opposite. I these
0: guess. people were um, much more engaged. Uh-huh. They sounded a little bit more like pundits. Uh-huh. Like you know, like they were watching Morning Joe every day. You know, <laughs> so they're you know, all oh, the party's moving too far to the left. I need a more moderate. Like they would say that kind of stuff. Wow. Um, And then in Miami, it was a very interesting group. I talked to people who voted for Obama in 12. And then decided to sit home or vote third party in 16. And it Mm -hmm. was majority um, black and Latino voters. And, you know, all three. And then in in Pennsylvania, I talked to just disaffected Democrats. Democrats who don't watch the news that much, but they vote. Mm -hmm. All four of those groups of voters actually had similar complaints and similar hopes. Mm -hmm. And the complaints were no one is looking out for me. Politics seems like a joke. Uh, the media seems like a joke. I don't uh-huh. trust the media anymore. I don't trust politicians anymore. It's a game. Uh-huh. And, you know, people call these some of these voters like low information voters and they say, what's wrong with them? Trump's president. Don't they understand the threat to the uh-huh. country right now? Why can't they vote? Well, you know, there's this woman that talked to me in Philadelphia. She's this young African-American woman. And she was like, look, I've spent most of my life trying to figure out how to raise my young child who has autism. Uh And I I spend most of my time working and raising my child Uh and and, and caring for him. And I would love to understand what's going on in politics because I think it's important for me. Healthcare is an important issue for me. But I can't understand what's going on. I turn on these debates. It's confusing. I turn on the news. Everyone's yelling at each other. They Uh treat everything like a game. Everything's like a joke. And... I, I wish there was, she said, I wish there was an understanding class for politics uh-huh. where I could actually know what the issues are and know what's at stake because I don't have time to focus on that all the time. Right. And everywhere I went, that was sort of the sentiment that, like, people are leading really busy lives and they want to pay attention to politics. But when they do, it seems like a fucking circus, uh-huh. which it is. And I think Democrats are going to—it's going to be really hard to reach these people. Uh-huh. But Democrats are going to somehow need to break through. Like, I think the, the Democrats, a bigger challenge than Donald Trump is the cynicism that people feel about politics right. for the Democratic Party. Eh, eh. And, so, and so part of what we have to do is persuade people that a good kind of politics is still possible and right. ask them to believe in the power of democracy, uh-huh. which is really tough. But it's the argument that, you know, Trump's argument was I alone can fix it. Right. right. This is the, it's the argument of a demagogue. Mm-hmm. Give me all your power. Mm-hmm. I will fight your fights. I will fight your enemies. The people that are standing in your way, I'll take care of them. Which is why the loyalists like him regardless. And even if he doesn't succeed, right? Because they know that he's part of the fight. They just want him to fight. Yeah. And our, and our, our argument has to be, has he, like, he he's, he's too self-obsessed mm-hmm. to do that. And the actual, the only way that we've ever gotten ahead in this country is to somehow, even as we're fighting each other all the time, come together across lines of race and geography mm-hmm. and class and still make progress together, bit right. by bit. But we do that. And it's, the, and it's the only way that America has ever worked. Yeah. And that model isn't working for us.
1: Yeah, but unfortunately, it gets elected, you know. Um, let me ask you about Biden and what your mm. opinion is on Biden, because— Right now, he's the front runner. We don't know what's going to happen. The votes haven't come in yet. And, yeah. you know, we'll see what's going to happen. I don't consider him what I call that charismatic leader. So he's going to have to win on something else. Yeah. You know, in terms of the general, I don't know if he, you know, I know he has support, but there's something missing with Biden right now. And there's, I, I'm always so disappointed after these I debates agree. because I'm like, if he's the front runner, I'm so disappointed in him as a front runner you know like yeah. it feels like he was a front runner by default not because he did something like he didn't like if bernie sanders was a front runner i go i get it bernie put his cell phone he put his ass out there in that last election he had issues that nobody was supporting now everybody's on that train yeah, you know, yeah. fighting him over that line but i get it i would get yeah. why bernie did biden's more like well he was you know his black friend was Obama, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, so to speak. Nothing. I'm not, and I'm saying that in a bad way, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's like it's that it's the next in line argument that we used to always have, right? right. Who's next in line? Yeah, you know, which to me would have made sense in 16. I wouldn't be salty about it at all. Right. But this is 2020. The now next in a... line doesn't quite work right now, you know. So, so there's a good, so in other words, he's not presenting anything as far as I'm concerned you know, in terms of leadership ways, that I just think that's very harmful to it, have that person at the front of the ticket.
0: It's, uh... Sorry, the whole Joe thing, Biden. The whole thing's a little worrisome. And, and uh, I do like Biden. Well, by the do. I worked with him, and I think he's...
1: I, I think he's... By the way, let, let me put it in a different way. I think Biden is who he presents himself as. 100%. You know, he's very authentic. He has done a lot that people don't give him credit for also. Yeah. You know, his his personal approach doesn't quite work Like, he stumbles way too much right now when he's just trying to make points. And he's not engaging people right now. And he he has a lot to engage people with. So, I don't think—I think Biden has everything that he needs to have. I agree. But there's something going on with the presentation of it and and that sort of thing. So, so to to be more fair, let me say that. No,
0: he is a— Incredibly decent, yes, kind, completely generous man. Right, I mean, like you said, who he is in public is who he is in private. Absolutely, he remembers your names, birthdays, like all that kind of. He and, is he is an old school politician. Yes. in both the bad and, ways and the good ways. And he has had public
1: <laughs> tragedies too. And he's you know, yeah, and he's lived a life of tragedy. His, his wife early, look, on the, and his son. There was this stuff.
0: moment at the end of the debate the other night mm-hmm. in his sort of wrap up speech where he talked about people just getting clobbered in in America right now, and, right. and he's fighting for those people, and he always has and mm-hmm. I watched that and I was like, "That's the Joe Biden." Yeah. That there's a glimpse. Every once in a while, there's a glimpse of the Joe Biden I remember from when he was Barack Obama's vice president, sure. and he was he was the happy warrior uh-huh. in our in our administration. And uh-huh. I think I don't know exactly what's happened in this primary. I think a couple things have happened. I think, but him Joe Biden, and the campaign itself, his campaign, uh-huh. have gotten incredibly defensive, too defensive uh-huh. over a lot of the living in the world of people who are extremely online and all the attacks he's faced and stuff like that. Yeah. And he just yeah. hasn't handled those attacks well. Right. And so he's at his worst in these debates when he's challenged, yeah. right? Because then he starts getting defensive and then he just says something, just Well, because his approach is,
1: I'll beat you up. Right, you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah, It's just like, what the it's hell like, is like, going on? What is this, the 50s right now? What do you no, mean? But it, You'll, we'll take it out to the alley type yeah. of approach.
0: And I think, you know, mm-hmm. look, I, at first I thought maybe a lot of the support is just, is just name identification. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of it is. like I did mm-hmm. ask all four of these groups about the candidates, mm-hmm. and most of them had only heard of Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. It makes sense. A yeah. few people mentioned Elizabeth Warren. A couple people in the Arizona group mentioned Pete Buttigieg. No one else. Right. And there is this feeling of... So, you know, my view on the Democratic electorate this time around is the, the emotion that is uh, in the background of this whole primary is fear. Mm-hmm. People are so afraid that we're not going to beat Donald Trump. Right. And
1: so... Joe Biden. I, call, I call those cynical campaigns, by the way. Yeah. But by cynical, I mean you're running against something rather than for something, mm-hmm. and it's very. I think which is very, a danger. Yes, it's a, very, I, it's, it's a real danger. Very difficult for cynical campaigns to win. Some have, but it isn't easy. Well, the know? problem, and, and the campaign
0: shouldn't be like that. But it's a, it's hard when the electorate feels like that. Exactly <laughs> that you're running against something. Yeah, rather and than so the electorate something. is feeling right. very, and I and. It feels familiar to me because the first campaign I ever worked on was John Kerry's campaign right yes. out of college, and that was a cynical campaign. That was and well, and Howard Dean was yes. the candidate of the left right. and progressives, and it was sure. all exciting. But then, as the voting got underway in Iowa, yeah. everyone was like, "John Kerry's a war hero; mm-hmm. he seems safe; he seems electable." We're going with John Kerry, right? And then we, all, of course, know what happened. Right. Um, and I and I do see something similar well, happening. Well, I,
1: and I'll say just what I mean again by cynical. It's because I feel he ran against Bush. And he didn't run for John Kerry, right? You know, and it, and it sounds very general, but at the end of the day, you better be running for something against an incumbent. Have to be, <laughs> you know. You have to because be. that incumbent has way that bully pulpit is way more powerful than people realize. Yeah.
0: No, and look, yeah. traditionally against an incumbent, uh, when you're running against an incumbent, the the political strategy is you want to make it a referendum on the incumbent. This is usually exactly. what happens. I think in this election. Democrats have to run making this a choice, uh-huh. which is usually you don't do when you're running against an incumbent, but right. I think with Trump on the ticket, you have to say here's his vision, here's our vision, uh-huh. and our vision has to be positive and has to be spelled out uh-huh. and I don't think Joe Biden has i think he ha- i mean it's funny if no one cares about policy details anymore or platforms anymore we don't talk about that yeah. he's got a more progressive platform than even Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama right uh-huh. like the, the the policies are there he doesn't talk about them as much. Uh-huh. I think he has not performed as well as he should in these debates. Uh-huh. Um, I would like, like I said, I, but you talk to a lot of voters and they feel there's a comfort with Joe Biden, uh-huh. right? And particularly, like, I, I, I mean, he is so far ahead with black voters, uh-huh. more, and I think some of it's the association with Obama, uh-huh. but it's also more, mo- you know, half the party, half, half people who are Democratic voters identify themselves as moderates. Right, they don't mm-hmm. Yeah, they're and, more and, mo- and, and, and a lot of black voters identify mm-hmm. themselves as moderates. Particularly. Also, many
1: black voters are socially conservative, mm-hmm. which a lot of people just don't. There realize. is that. Well, I, okay. I, I say they're churchy. That's what I say.
0: All the churchy black voters. So I talked. <laughs> well, so I talked to Stacey mm-hmm. Abrams about this for the mm-hmm. Wilderness. So that episode will be out next week. Oh, and, great. Um, She's awesome. man. Yeah. She's fantastic. She's mm-hmm. just brilliant. And I asked her about this, and she said, "Low propensity voters." Voters, And she goes, who I, who I have a lot of experience with in Georgia, people uh-huh. who don't often vote. They only vote once in a while. And they are poorer white voters and there are a lot of poorer black voters uh-huh. and middle class black voters as well. And um, when a politician comes and just tells them to dream and to think big and to propose big ideas, sometimes they chafe at that because they think, I don't know if I can afford to take a risk uh-huh. on a dream because I'm just trying to raise my family yeah, it's easy and I want, to say, I got to pay some, bills. I got to pay some bills. Right. And so I want to know what your plan is. And I want to see what the path is to passing it. And I want uh-huh. to see something that works and that improves my life because she <laughs> goes, what happens with these voters is politician comes to town, asks them to vote. They go out, they vote, nothing changes, or maybe their vote doesn't count. Uh-huh. They go back inside and then they don't want to vote again. And so it, she's like, I'm not arguing for pragmatism and for people to trim their sails. I think we should be bold, but I think we should be bold and make sure that we can let people know that we have a plan to deliver on that bold idea, uh-huh. um, which is interesting because I, I think when you have Bernie over here and Biden, I, I do think someone like an Elizabeth Warren has been out there trying to say, okay, here's actually my path to getting a lot of this stuff done, uh-huh. which I think is sort of helpful. But I think a lot of, back to the Biden point, I think a lot of the people who are sort of parked with Biden right now are like, they're not, I don't think they're paying super close attention to the race, number one. Or if they are, they just see him and they think he was with Obama for eight years. He did a lot of good things as vice president. I like him. I know him. I feel safe with him. Uh He's not going to surprise me. And we just got to get Trump out of the White House. So I think that's what they're thinking. But all the points you raise about what that looks like in a general election where Trump is being Trump and to beat Trump, you have to be incredibly nimble Uh And you have to be um, advocating for something and not just that you're not Trump. I think that's an open question whether Joe Biden can run that kind of campaign.
1: Yeah, because also— And I haven't
0: seen it yet. Well, I know that doesn't mean it's not possible, but I haven't seen it yet.
1: And the incumbent has not just what their plan or what their ideas are. They have a record. Yeah. You know, so that's—you're running against a record now. It's not just—you can't just say this guy is scary. You have to— there's a record now. You yeah. can either prove that or, or it can be disproven, you know, and that sort of thing.
0: The problem is that like all four of these potential uh you're saying nominees. Biden, Biden, Warren, Sanders, Buttigieg? And Buttigieg. That's what you're saying. Okay. All four of these potential nominees have different challenges. Right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if one of them if one of them was like the sure thing that you that you mm-hmm. know, there there wouldn't be a race right now. But yeah. like, you know, I sat in groups. It's funny in the Milwaukee and Pennsylvania groups I talked about socialism, democratic socialism, Bernie, sure. no problems. And these were the Obama, some of the Obama Trump voters. It uh-huh. doesn't bother me what you call yourself as long as you just do something to fix this shit. Basically, uh-huh. Miami and especially Miami, the word socialism was just like, well, I had a couple. I had a Cuban immigrant in the group. I had someone from Ecuador, uh-huh. Ecuador and they said, you know. We've seen socialism. Socialism's right. bad. It doesn't work. And I'm like, yeah, well, wait, it's it's different. You know, I would explain it's a different kind of socialism and it's free. And why Democrats always giving stuff out free? Right. And these are like black and Latino voters in Miami oh, who voted is- for Obama. And I was like, oh. Of and then in Arizona, of course, the former Romney voters that voted for Hillary, they're like, Bernie Sanders, that's, that's too far to the left. So that's, you know, but I, I do think Bernie has the potential to win back some of those Obama-Trump voters, some of uh-huh. those— Older white guys in the Midwest who voted for Trump but didn't want to vote for Hillary. Uh-huh. That, that could be a Bernie crew. Um, but so that, there's Bernie's problems. I think Warren also has, you know, people see her as, as progressive as Bernie. And so I think uh-huh. in, in some of the, you know, sh- there could be some electability concerns there or not. I don't, we don't know.
1: I want to ask you about Elizabeth Warren um, because she came out of the blocks a couple of years ago. As this financial crusader, you know, against Wall Street. And she had some really good ideas, I thought, and was saying things that people really weren't saying. She was one of the—she, like Sanders, on this issue, was kind of a voice in the wilderness. Yeah. But she was more about that type of reform. But she's kind of changed herself more into the big socialist type of candidate like Sanders. Yeah. You know, which I don't know if that helps her or not. I don't think it's helped her personally.
0: I don't think you the know, Medicare for all. I
1: don't I, think that helps her.
0: I don't think that that's clearly hasn't helped her because yeah. she has um, but, come out with a plan that has sort of pushed her away from it a little bit. Well, it, I just, no, I, I, I look, I think I, I have a lot of uh, I, I like Elizabeth Warren a lot.
1: I like her as that reformer fighter I think who's, that's what, who's fighting the good fight for people and is saying, no, motherfucker. I, I saw what you did. Which, and we are not gonna allow you to do that.
0: Which by the way, we right. talk a lot about electability. That is an electable Absolutely. platform. Because Completely. and then she and you know, she talked yeah. about this debate and I interviewed her last week and she told mm-hmm. me about this when I asked her about electability. Is she's making this argument now. You want to sort of split up the party coalitions as they are right now. Yeah. She's like, I got, you know, Republican brothers who mm-hmm. don't agree with me on a lot of issues, but when we talk about, you know, sticking it to Wall Street. Yes. and reforming Washington. Of course, they're there,
1: but they don't agree with their Medicare for
0: all. Right, and, and, <laughs> right. and, I, and, the, and now I understand the reason right. that she did Medicare. I mean, it's funny; was she she first uh, did an interview on Pod Save America back in February. She uh, Tommy interviewed her, and he asked her about Medicare for all, mm-hmm. and she said, "Look, I'm for universal health care, and there's many pathways to get there. And I think okay. Medicare for all is a good pathway, but sure. there's many pathways to get there. Right, right. Which I thought was a smart position from her. Sure. But what she soon realized is. She needs Bernie's people in order to Completing. win the nomination, absolutely. And, if, and, and and Bernie's people only want your Medicare for all or get the fuck out, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you yes, know. Yes.
1: And so um, we ain't she, trying to klubichar this Medicare. No, that's it. You're this, you're this either healthcare. with us or we're yeah. we're,
0: we're forget you. Mm-hmm. So she realized that she needed a, a base on the left, and I think I, I think now looking back on it, look all of these candidates who have tried to. Straddle the all of the new candidates, Biden yeah. and Bernie. People know who they are, but the new candidates who right. have tried to straddle both parts of the party, the left and the and the center left, have not. Kamala Harris, Better O'Rourke, yeah. uh, and 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 Pete Buttigieg, and now Elizabeth Warren too. It's yeah. they've had a really hard time.
1: No, you're right about that. They, and I, I was surprised by some of that actually. Although Klippertar stayed in longer than I thought that she would. I like Klippertar. I think she's real smart. And, yeah, she is. And and the things she says do make sense to me. She like Obama as a pragmatist yeah. in many ways. And that doesn't— Obama didn't run as a pragmatist, though, but he governed as a pragmatist. But he ran as hope and change, you know, as, as, they, I, as an idealist in some ways, you know. And people— Here's what happened. A lot of people painted things on Obama that weren't necessarily about Obama. And I was like, read Obama's books. He's not what you're saying, what you thought, think he is.
0: You know what, what I it was mean? Is or, he was— because he opposed the Iraq War, yes, he was seen as the most progressive candidate. Yeah, they but thought he was RFK. Our healthcare yeah. plan was not as progressive as Hillary's or John mm-hmm. Edwards's. No, nope. right? We and we nope. we had a big argument in the primary about this. Yep. It wasn't very hidden. I remember <laughs> we yeah. all yelled about it. Right. And so, like you know, you can say that he governed as a pragmatist, but I also think with. There was a lot of hope and change in the campaign, uh, but the policy program was all there.
1: Yeah, a lot of people probably don't agree with me, but I think that he did, you
0: know. I think we, we that, talked a lot about this. Yeah. I mean, there's things that Obama talked about in the 2008 campaign that I think the the progressive left would just, like, kick him out of the party for today. Oh,
1: completely. <laughs> oh.
0: You know? Not I mean, we just It's not—but at the time, he seemed, you know, he was viewed as, like, one of the more progressive candidates. Right. Um, but there was, I think— part of the reason obama won part of the reason obama won in a state like illinois won iowa uh-huh. is people did see voters saw a pragmatism in him uh-huh. that maybe the national media didn't always see but they they got that they yeah. saw that he was like willing to compromise willing to reach out so. or reach they they got that yeah and they saw an idealism
1: in him that was refreshing too yeah me and and he and,
0: and his view was i don't think idealism is incompatible with pragmatism right then he found
1: out. Jig. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Well, how has he hung around for so long? Here's here's a guy who's a mayor of a small city. Yeah. Um, you know, he's an out gay man. I give him a lot of credit for that story of how he tells that story. I think it's a very compelling story. I always feel like if, if people don't know you as a politician, it's good to have a good story. Yeah, that's true. And I think that helped him get some attention. For sure. Great story, you know. But in terms of... Like when I think platform, I'm I'm not sure what his platform is. To be honest with you, yeah. Like I'm thinking of it now as I'm speaking to you. I'm not. So quite he started. Sure. I think what, what, what's keeping him around.
0: I think what got him the attention of the people who watch the primary closely from the beginning, mm-hmm. who are college-educated liberals, right, and donors mm-hmm. in the Democratic Party, and what they like. Is uh, punditry really mm. good punditry <laughs> about the Democratic Party, right? <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is like our audience in Plot Save America, <laughs> yes, right? Exactly. That's what. And yeah. P. <laughs> Buttigieg, I think, is like. A brilliant Democratic pundit. Yeah. And he talked about yeah. where the party had gone wrong. And I'm a guy from a Midwestern town that Donald Trump had forgotten. Yeah. And I'm a gay man who's also a veteran. And right. he scrambled people's notions of what a typical Democrat yes. should be. And he's young and looks at New generation. And he's very smart. And he— mm-hmm. You see him in an interview, and he can just nail these answers in a way yeah. that other people don't. And his Yeah, my pla- daughter
1: loves Buttigieg. She she immediately was attracted to him for a lot of those reasons, too. Like, he seemed to be speaking directly to people about these issues and wasn't politicking about it. Right,
0: and yeah. and what we talked— And talk- I think
1: people found that refreshing. They the did,
0: news. and what we talked about at the very beginning about um, some of these reforms that a lot of sort of— liberal and intellectual democrats mm-hmm. have been talking about whether it was the senate whether it was statehood mm-hmm. for dc whether it's for reforming the court all these things to make our institutions more democratic responsive he's been, mm-hmm. he was talking about that a lot which right. was bold for a democrat to do mm-hmm. then somewhere along the line when sort of elizabeth warren became yeah. um the front runner or close to the front runner with biden and bernie i think pete Buttigieg was advised look there is a moderate lane in the democratic party mm-hmm. that currently joe biden is occupying but joe biden might not be a strong candidate and if you want to get attention again you should maybe occupy that moderate lane mm-hmm. and i think he swerved pretty hard into that lane yeah it wasn't just like sort of gradual he was <laughs> yeah. a pretty hard <laughs> yeah right and i think people i think the left never forgave him for that mm-hmm. and then he got all kinds of shit yeah <laughs> and he became you know like look the 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 online vitriol for candidates who don't um yeah. who piss off for the progressives sure. yeah, is yeah. Uh, is unforgiving. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because for me like I it's was part of
1: I feel it's part of the primary process.
0: It Look, is, yeah, it is. And it you got to you a, gotta be able to deal with it. It happened And as
1: you remember remember the right was killing candidates, you know, <laughs> right yeah. and left the you know, that's when we started saying the term primary, you know. Right. Where the Republicans couldn't get enough of that. If you didn't check off everything, you were just gone.
0: Right. You know? And I think that's what that's what Pete has been—that's what he's been dealing with nationally. In Iowa, you know, you go to Iowa and he still gets these really, really big crowds. Uh-huh. And he's got a really good organization. Yeah. Which is why, I mean, like, the, the two candidates left with the best organizations in Iowa are Elizabeth Ward and Pete Buttigieg. Is he
1: the closest to— Maybe where Obama was in terms of his connection to the to people in Iowa, so I
0: always say I think that no, um, I don't
1: mean that he's going to win, but he he, to me, feels like the candidate that can connect with people the way Obama did. but he doesn't have the you know, the big personality and charisma, but there's something. That's the, there's, there's two. Something so there's two parts of Obama, that, right? is, that does connect, though. That I give him credit for. There's
0: two parts of Obama. There's the hmm. there's the Obama that like sits down with David Brooks and talks about Reinhold Niebuhr yeah. and like <laughs> you know all the liberals in San Francisco yeah. and 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 uh, L A and New York are like I love this guy. He's the greatest. But sure. and I love him for that too. Yeah. And that's Pete Buttigieg. That's the right. that's that's what Pete Buttigieg is like Obama in that respect for sure. Yeah. But then there's the part of Obama that goes to a crowd of thirty thousand people and. Inspires them with soaring rhetoric. Yeah, don't boo, vote. Right. And Pete has not (laughs) captured that yet. Yes. You know, which is why he's, you talk to people who like Pete, he's really, really good. They like him in small crowds Uh and they really like him in interviews. Uh And in bigger rallies or in some of these debates, I don't think he has, like, I think he needs another gear in some of these debates. He does. Because he always gives the very polished, right on message answer that he's practiced that Uh he nails but he doesn't really take command of the stage. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're going to be the better Joe Biden, which is what he's trying to be, you got to command the stage. Yeah. The
1: better Joe Biden. Oh, <laughs> unbelievable. Man, well, thanks so much. Yeah, uh, of course. John, for coming by. Uh, before we wrap up, I just want to get some of your feelings on what's going to happen.
0: Mm.
1: was that first, when is Iowa, by the way? Iowa you know, is February
0: 3rd. Is that oh my God. Two, whatever that so Monday funny. is. Yeah, I think it's February fast, 3rd or okay. 4th. Yeah.
1: What do you think is gonna happen? I like, don't know. Do you have a
0: no. first, second,
1: third in your head? No, or? and I've
0: never. I and this is not just me being yeah. like I don't want to say it publicly. I yeah. honestly, I have no idea. Any of those four candidates could win. I agree. I'm, 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 I'm I almost positive. It, I'm positive it will be one of those four candidates. I, like, yeah. I also think we could get a pileup where like the difference between the four top uh, candidates is like one percent.
1: Now, what happens in a caucus? Does it? Uh, Do you need a plurality or a majority or what do you need? So you
0: need at least... In each in each district, uh-huh. uh, in each precinct, sorry, you need at least fifteen percent of the vote to be viable. Okay, and then if you don't get if you're if you don't get fifteen percent of the vote, then the people who caucused for you have to go somewhere else ah, or get to go somewhere else right. to another candidate. Okay, so then so this is why second choice. So remember,
1: everybody, it's a caucus in
0: Iowa. It's not just a straight vote. That's right. It's different, and, yeah. and that's why second choice is so important ah, in, in okay. Iowa. Who your second choice is because right. sometimes you might have to go with that second choice. Interesting. Yeah. And then what happens is. Um, you know, they get the percentage the raw percentage of the vote mm-hmm. uh, for each candidate first, then right. the reallocation when everyone who's under fifteen percent reallocates to the other candidates. Yes, then there's another, then that's the that's what we'll see on <laughs> I always the, feel on like the news. What's interesting is you got to get up in public and, and state your case, right? There's a lot of problems with the caucuses. There's, I lot, like that they can the, be anti-democratic, but they are the most pure, yes, town hall style. Absolutely. And yeah. If, if you, anyone yeah, yeah. who listen, if you ever get a chance to go to one, it's yeah. just it's wild because. People are like, come over here now. Let's go. Let's yeah. c- come to our guy. And yeah. um, so then, depending on what the percentages are, they award delegates based on okay statewide. If you win the state, you get a certain number of delegates, and then if you win each precinct, you get a certain number of delegates.
1: So that's why I like delegates place can are still do well.
0: Yeah. So right. So delegates are the most. Is the way you win the nomination. Right. But I think look. And super There's a delegates. couple i I'll give you a couple scenarios. And super delegates. And super delegates, right. right, which are have less power this time, which could be important. Oh, all right. There um, you go. Loser idea by the way. Exactly, right. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. All right. So <laughs> Joe Biden pulls out the Iowa, wins the Iowa caucus. Right. I think it is like uh, very 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 likely Joe Biden's the nominee because mm-hmm. he can't be stopped. He wasn't really—people didn't think maybe he was going to win Iowa, so he gets a boost from that. He goes on to New Hampshire. He'll win South Carolina, and he's sort of steamed He grossed. takes
1: second in New Hampshire. Bernie takes first in New Hampshire?
0: Potentially. Right. And then they go to Nevada. Maybe Bernie wins Nevada because he's got Biden good organizing definitely there. definitely wins South Carolina. Definitely win South Carolina. Probably
1: Nevada, too, right?
0: Maybe. He's leading the polls now, but, of course, Nevada is a caucus state and requires organizing, and Bernie's good organizing. Yeah. Um, but then—so if, if Biden wins Iowa, I think Biden has is the strong favorite for the nomination— mm-hmm. If Bernie Sanders wins Iowa. Wow.
1: That's going to be interesting.
0: Because I think if Bernie Sanders wins Iowa, he's in a strong position in New Hampshire to win New Hampshire. Completely. And then he goes to Nevada and he has a great organization there. Bernie Sanders wins the first three states. It doesn't matter if Joe Biden wins. South Carolina, because it, then Super Tuesday, California's voting, California's and Bernie out. has a very good shot of winning the state.
1: Yeah, California's going to be interesting now since they moved it up. I was, that I thought that was a loser thing, too, because California saying, <laughs> like, how come we don't get to vote? That's to right. Vote? But it's more than that, because we're talking about who gets to influence later votes and that type of thing. Yeah. Super Tuesday, is that in March or at the end of it's February? It's March. That's in March. It's like okay. the first Tuesday in March, right?
0: Um, so so I, I think if I think if Bernie wins Iowa, it like it could be Bernie's nomination. That could be it.
1: Or we could see like the Hillary Obama thing, where it's Bernie Biden going at each other, right? Right.
0: That would have uh-huh. to be if there's. I guess there could be a scenario where Bernie wins Iowa, and then all the moderates in the party sort of freak out and they rally around Joe Biden for New Hampshire, and then Biden wins New Hampshire, and then we're sort of off to a you know, Hillary, Bernie thing.
1: What if Warren comes back and wins Iowa? So the the, the
0: scenario where Warren wins Iowa or Pete wins Iowa is Mm -hmm. a much more scrambled scenario. Okay. Because I think if either of them win, it doesn't force either Biden or Bernie out of the race. Mm -hmm. And then you probably have four candidates moving on to New Hampshire. Wow. And then I I think it's too hard to guess. Yeah, that's crazy time. Yeah, so... Because I don't think. And that's possible. I mean, I, I think all all four of them it easily could win Iowa. Woo!
1: Yeah. You heard it. John Favreau <laughs> predicted all four of them could win. That's it. <laughs> Thanks, that's John. all the predicting I did. Thanks for these going days. out on a limb on that. <laughs> it's not 2016 uh, anymore. But the podcast is The Wilderness Guys. If you like politics and the talking about it and. John is going He's going out there though And he's talking to these people It's really great listening I really enjoy it Thank a lot. you so
0: much I appreciate it
1: And uh, Crooked Media is killing it out there you guys Congratulations on that Thank
0: too, you Congratulations to you too
1: Alright John I'm sure I'll be seeing you this year Yes for sure <laughs> Okay
0: Take care